And um, here we are, segment number three. This one was the Pentagon attacks on September 11th, 2001. And one little thing I forgot to add on the, our last segment um, about the um, cyber attacks was that 90% of the internet is not owned by the government. So that's going to be a lot harder for the government to get everything back in order because they don't own the internet. Internet's kind of like open to everybody. That's why cyber attacks are so threatening. I'd say a lot more threatening than the coronavirus. But anyways, so moving on to our third third segment. This one is going to be the um, Pentagon attacks on September 11th. And the thing about that is that it was still coming off of that show where they were talking about um, cyber attacks. And I was just like really, it really took my mind off of the Navajo court system and that Judge Malcolm Begay. And it just kind of made me, you know, focus my my anger energy into like a learning energy. So I was just kind of, you know, really got into this. And I was always wondering about that, you know, as far as the, um, the September 11th attacks on a, in the year 2001, one of the things they were talking about was, uh, an airplane smashing into the Pentagon. And I did see some YouTube videos on it where some people say that there was never a crash because there was no plane debris. And the, um, that was just like, uh, a, t- a timed, a timed explosive to tie in with, uh, making it look like the worst attack ever. But that, you know, once again, that's, that's YouTube and that's conspiracy right there. So um, I'm just going off of this show now, what, what they were talking about. Because it was really interesting to me because the the Pentagon is like the the main central hub of all military defense. And when I was in the Army, this guy was telling me, he goes, um, he goes you know, you ever think about working for the Pentagon? Uh, yeah, the Pentagon. And I said, or no, he goes, you ever think about working for Washington, D.C.? I said, no, why would I do that for? I don't want to be around a bunch of uh, office workers. You know, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be around a bunch of government government people because at the time there was that Patriot Act going on that George Bush Jr. signed where they could, you know, pretty much listen to your conversations and all that. So your privacy was basically being taken away by the uh, Patriot Act. But that Patriot Act, it also it's got some pretty sneaky things in there. I'll cover that some other time. But um so anyways, my my thing was like, no, nah, I don't want to work at the Pentagon, you know, that that's that's kind of like not my deal or I don't want to work in Washington, that's not my thing. But then this guy's like, well, he was a sergeant. Uh, I think his name was Sergeant Parham. He goes, "Well, you know, you might want to think about you know, stepping up in the world of the the military. You could work as a as a at the time I was a private. So he's like, you could work as a private inside the Pentagon. Oh no, that's what I told him. I said, well, you know, I'm still a private man. I don't think I could work there. He goes, no, you still can. He goes, you just put in your application and, and you know, if they hire you, then you'll get promoted faster. And I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Then after a while, he just, I just kind of been thinking about it and I was like, damn, that would be pretty awesome to, uh, to work at the uh, Pentagon. I was like, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens after the end of my, after the end of my time of serving, you know, I might, I might want to try that. I was thinking, but anyways, so that, that attack happened. And then when that happened, I was, uh, down in, uh, 
Fort Polk, Louisiana. I was part of a a mission training mission training um, uh, group, or uh, what? no, it was, it was a training actually for for going overseas and being having a peacekeeping mission. So when that happened, that's when these attacks happened, and that office, you know, everybody that was in the office that morning, they all took off and I'm like, hey, where is everybody? And all, all I was told was just, hey, man, the phone, sit here. And uh, if anybody calls, take messages. I was like, uh, okay. Nobody called. And I was kind of getting like little, like not so much freaked out, but I was just kind of getting a little um, like, like uh, inquisitive, like, man, what's going on? Where is everybody? Nobody really told me anything. And then f- lunch break, my uh, sergeant came in and she told me, go to lunch and uh you know, come back right away. I was like, all right. So I went to the cafeteria. There was nobody in there pretty much just me and like five other people. And I was like, man, what the, what the hell happened to everybody? So I sat there, ate after I was done. I came back and I asked her and she's like, oh, there was this terrorist attack and blah, blah, blah. And this and that happened. I was like, oh, okay. So anyways, going back to the Pentagon, um, this plane. So on the show, they're talking about this plane. It came down low and it slammed into the 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 Pentagon has five stories and the plane slammed into it and apparently it exploded on impact. And there were these, um, I think there was like three, three layers of hallways that, that were, that were all filled with, um, uh, like real hazardous fire and flames and there was this guy he was interviewed and this white man he was he said he was standing there he's drinking his coffee and then so all of a sudden everything just kind of um shook and i guess that where he was standing the plane came in and it exploded and that uh vibration kind of knocked him on his feet and he was you know he kind of like looked up and he saw this smoke and then eventually he said the ground got so the floor in the building the pentagon got so hot he was like he was he was he couldn't see also because there was so much smoke. So he heard um, someone yelling or something. So he followed that. And then he said eventually he felt the floor starting to cool down. So he was going away from the, the heat. But there was so much smoke that he ran into the wall. Then he turned sideways. Then he then he crawled back out. So that's how he survived. He said he was standing next to five people. And he was the only one that made it out. But... um. During that whole time, you know, the, um, like I said, it's, it's like the military central base and the, where that, where the plane hit, it was in a place where they've already had like shattered glass, glass proof. And there was a few things that weren't, um, that weren't really needed that burned down. It's, it was kind of like it hit the side of the Pentagon that wasn't like really important, you know? Um, but the major stuff had the, that plane maybe made another, maybe another turn and hit another part of the Pentagon. It could have entirely wiped out the whole military system and all the communications and stuff like that. So in a way they were lucky that it just hit a side where there wasn't really too much going on. But, um, from that, that point on what the military ended up doing was, they still had to go to work like the next day. So that's where they, you know, even though there were like uh, people still trying to dig out other bodies and stuff like that from the rubble, some of them were, you know, if they got tired, they just slept right out 
kind of like on the grass, you know, like away from the Pentagon. There were crash out there, and that's how they, um, you know, they would just wake up and get ready. And then at, at the time, this guy, Donald Rumsfeld, he was the uh, Secretary of Defense. He showed up, and everybody's like, you know, they were sleeping. They'd wake up. They'd wait for him. And then when he showed up, they jump up and they're like, oh, look, this, we done this and we done that. So then they did like a, um, they had this uh, goal of a year to repair the Pentagon. And they and they did it in like 11 months. So they were like a, a month ahead of schedule. But with this time, they added some new features and they upgraded a lot of things. And um, when the Pentagon was still being reconstructed, there were some people, they couldn't wait um, some like contractors, they couldn't wait to like run their electrical lines through some certain places. So they, they just would have to hurry up and re reevaluate how they're going to run electric lines through some walls that were put up because they didn't get there in time. Or sometimes the, the guys that were putting up the walls, you know, the electrical lines were already there. So they had to work around it, you know, so it's kind of like got a real, real different shape to it now inside apparently. But um, my whole point about this is that, um, the military, they kept working, you know, because that is such an important place as, and as far as, uh, the defense of the United States goes, you know, that's where they had to really keep everything going and online and, you know, making sure that, uh, everybody was staying in contact and making sure that the white house and the president and all this stuff was, was still, um, that they were still communicating, basically. Um, so then I was thinking about that. I'm like, okay, that was like a real, a real tragic thing where, yeah, people died. There was explosions, and there was a potential risk that everybody else could die that, that if they didn't contain that fire and if it got even hotter and other parts blew up and stuff like that. Then I look back at how the Navajo Nation handled the coronavirus quarantine, lockdown, shutdown, pandemic, and it's kind of funny that, um, us veterans, we weren't really sought after for our advice and our expertise in like lockdowns and how to have like crowd control and how to like guard the borders basically. And, you know, it's just sad. They're like, Oh, well you guys stay home. And, you know, as military veterans, we did follow those orders where we did stay home. I mean, for the majority, like for me, I, I still had to leave, you know, I still had to get on the road and, and what's pretty cool about my job taking care of my mother was that my supervisor told me that I was going to have a, a badge and a paper that says that I had to go off the reservation lines in order to get, you know, healthcare equipment and, um, food for my mother who is, who I was watching over. So that, that was pretty neat. That's why, you know, I had no problem leaving, driving around, um, during these lockdowns. But, um, anyways, so that's why I figured that it would be kind of interesting to bring this up because I also wanted to know more about what happened during that September 11th, um, you know, Pentagon attack. Now, we know what happened with the Twin Towers, and then there was that one out in the field out in Pennsylvania where these uh, passengers, they took over the plane and, you know, crashed it into the ground. So it, like, never really hit anything. And so those are great Americans, you know, you're willing to give up your life to 
even if you're not a service member, you know, to like, hey man, I know this plane's gonna be causing some damage, so let's go. We gotta crash it. And um, then I kind of think, what would Judge Malcolm Begay do in that situation? You know, would would he really try to shed his um, his negative characteristics of uh, being an antagonizer, or would he actually step up and say, you know? I've been harassing people too long. It's time for me to really get out there and, you know, make amends for the way I've treated everybody in a trial, you know, and all the all the lives that I have rearranged by my decisions, you know. Anyways, that's just kind of like one of those I just kind of I'm starting to throw this guy into other scenarios now. And the reason why I'm doing that is because when I finally write my complaint letter and and it gets submitted to the uh chief justice and she wants to talk to me in person, and I want to say, look, this is this is very simple, you know. All I'm trying to do is make sure that, um, you know, I get a fair chance to say what I need to say, and I, I want that fair opportunity to where, you know, I can confront the defendant in, in the court of law and say, you know, why did you have to do that to us? Why did you have to steal the money from us? And... And if the judge is there, and or if the even if that chief justice says something like, "All right, well, you're gonna have to tell Mr. Malcolm Begay to his face," I'm gonna be like, "Hell yeah, man! Give me that opportunity. I, I got some shit to say to him, you know." But for the most part, that's where I'm kind of looking at this um, September 11th um, Pentagon attacks, and looking at these uh, active military veterans who still had to do their job despite their hazardous working environment. And I'm like, why can't we do that with the Navajo Nation? Why can't us veterans be out there to say, to have a say in what's going on? I mean, after all, we're living here, right? And without our um, CIBs or our voter registration, you know, the tribe doesn't really get that much money. And so, in a way, I would say, I would say we're entitled to defend this reservation, that we should at least be out there looking for uh, human traffickers and stuff like that. And not always depending on the Navajo Nation police. And, and like I said, you know, I want very little to do with the police and the court system. But if I have to, I will, you know, respect their their way of doing things. And, and that's why that Malcolm Begay is such a dishonorable person because... He's over there trying to get me to cuss and to say some negative things at him and to try to turn me out into a villain when I'm just trying to say, hey, man, I'm just following your rules. I'm following how things work in your world because there's no way you can hack it in my world. There was no there's no way you can go out there and do what I've done during the pandemic. But um, uh, at this point, I'm just bragging, just gloating. But uh, so the one takeaway from all this that I wanted to bring up uh, now that I reached a 15 minute mark uh, on my, you know, my my spiel here is that um, maybe hopefully in the future, whatever attacks happen, that we have a decent Navajo Nation government that will finally seek the advice of the Navajo Nation veterans. That way we'll all work together and we'll come up with a good plan. And if anything, Clagato Veteran Podcast gets the... Uh, gets the uh, credentials and gets the credit for uh, bringing it up. And um, so anyways, I hope that was very informative and you learned something there because I sure had fun talking about it. Not fun, but I sure feel better talking about it. 
Okay, now moving on to the next subject.